Father, as we come to this time, opening your word, hearing it preached, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate, you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, our minds to think rightly, our hearts to feel correctly. Bring us closer to you, Jesus. For those that don't know you, bring them into saving faith. For those who already belong to you, we pray that you would open our eyes anew to the wonder of the incarnation. Jesus, be glorified by what we think and feel, not only in this sanctuary, but as we leave, eager to make known the name of Christ Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to be reading uh, one verse from the book of Isaiah, which is the prophecy that is fulfilled as Matthew records it in his gospel. I'll begin at Isaiah 7, verse 14, and then we'll move into Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew 1, 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And you believe this is true. I heard that statement, and I'm going to come back to it in a moment. You heard and believe that this is true? Christmas Eve is the longest day of the year. <laughs> Children right now are feeling that. You're so excited for what the rest of this day and tomorrow holds. For me, it really was the longest day of the year. Except for when I was a baby, an infant, and a toddler, I know that I never slept once on Christmas Eve. Never. All the signs pointed to it being the night. Around 10 o'clock, my mom and dad would say, go to bed. To the five children, there's five of us, I'm the middle child. And then they would specifically say, and Mark, do not come out of your room until we give you permission to. I interpreted that somewhat loosely, went to my room, and then I would just stare out pulling my mini blinds down, looking into the sky, thinking about the stars, thinking about what else I might see. And I would just gaze into that night. But the sign I was looking for and waiting for was a light shining under the door. And as soon as that light went out, 
I knew that there was a sign and I could get up out of my bed, open the door, walk down the hall, and there see the beauty displayed before me. Every Christmas, I was in the living room by 12 or 12.30, playing all night long until my father would come and escort me back to my room. One year, and I've told you some of these stories before, but I don't think this one, I received a Batman costume. Not one that you could buy in a store, that wouldn't be good enough, but one that my grandmother made by hand. Next to that was a gift for my best friend, Todd Alfonso, and it was Robin's outfit. She made an outfit for me and Robin outfit for Todd, which fit, because Todd was short. I was tall. We were Batman and Robin. I put the cape on, the hood on, and began to play with other toys that were sitting under the tree when my father came into the room. Around one, Mark, go back to your room. It's time for you to go to sleep and wait till morning. And I just looked at him and said, I'm Batman. <laughs> that didn't help. Discipline began as it did every Christmas morning. I knew the need for Jesus long before I really knew the need for Jesus. <laughs> Signs are pointing everywhere. And we grow up as a people, whether we know it or not, constantly looking for signs. I know because we live in a broken world, we're broken people, as Matt beautifully prayed, that you're looking for signs right now, whether you even know it or not. Sometimes, and maybe most often, the signs have to do with birth and life and growth and even death. There are signs when somebody is nearing the end. Some of you have experienced that lately. There's been a lot of grief in our body. I continue to think about our brothers and sisters at Highland Park Press. I think about our dear friends and family at Covenant. There's been a lot of grief. And many of you are in that right now. And you are looking for signs of when some of that grief will lift. Others of you can anticipate because of signs that there's grief that's coming. Signs are part of our life. And God is a God of signs. He is a God that gives us signs, not necessarily the way we want when we're trying to make a big decision. We're wondering if we should take this job or not. When we're in a relationship with someone and it's advancing, we're looking for signs. How do they think about the relationship? What do I think about the relationship? As parents, we're looking for signs and we're given signs. Think about this. When a woman conceives and is going to give birth, there are certain signs that prove that. Her body begins to change. What's happening inside her as the Lord knits together that child has physical realities that transform her body. Books are written to help. I remember when my wife told me she was pregnant with our first, Kara, suddenly we received the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. And there's markers in that book for every month. Then seeing what a bestseller that was, they created another book, What to Expect the First Year. Then What to Expect the toddler years, then what to expect. I don't know if they did a teenager or not, but that's when we really need it, right? What to expect? What are the markers? Is my child healthy? Are they growing? Are there signs? God is a God of signs. Think about this. Moving throughout the entire scriptures, we see the way God shows us things in signs. There are the signs in Genesis 1, of light and lights 
that will give signs of seasons. It's Genesis 1.14. We have the rainbow, the sign of God's covenant promises never to destroy the earth that way. We have this sign of circumcision, of Sabbath. All the plagues are described as signs. We have the sign of the blood above the door. In the New Testament, we have the sign of the star. We have the sign of the shepherds. The sign of water being turned into wine, Jesus' first miracle. The sign of the cross. The sign of an empty tomb. All these signs pointing to Christ. As we think about signs, I want you to know that signs reveal to us that God is the one who initiates salvation. And he is the one who illuminates our hearts. I want to begin by going back to Isaiah. You're going to need a Bible, so grab the Blue Pew Bible if you didn't bring your own and turn to Isaiah 7. You're going to see the context for this prophecy that was given. One of the things we've tried to do this Advent series is to go back and look at what God promised and how he promised it that's now fulfilled in the New Testament gospel. As you're turning there, I want to tell you a little bit about King Ahaz because this prophecy comes to King Ahaz and it will be fulfilled later. King Ahaz was 20 years old, so some of you are 20, when he became king of the southern kingdom, that's Judah. He was the 11th king of the southern kingdom of Judah, the city Jerusalem. He was not a godly king, and that's important. He was not one who abided in the Lord or listened to the Lord. And because of that, you're going to see amazing grace from the Lord. King Ahaz sees signs of trouble coming upon his people. I'll read what they are. Look with me at 7.1. Chapter 7, verse 1, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, reason the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. So Ahaz and his people saw the signs of a coming invasion. Because of that, there's fear. There's angst. What's going to happen? When the house of David, this is important to show the line of Christ through these kings, was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Well, he's scared. What's going to happen to his kingdom? What will these leaders do with their troops against our people? He's frightened. What are you frightened about right now? What right now is coming at you where you feel fear? King Ahaz is going to hear from Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah the prophet is going to speak to him exactly what God tells him. He will be his mouthpiece. Look with me at verse 3. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz. Tells him to take his son with him. And then in verse 4, he tells him what to say. Listen to these words. And say to him, to King Ahaz, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. That's the two nations. This is important. Ahaz is a leader of God's people. He's evil. 
He is hearing directly from the Lord, seeing signs of a coming invasion. Ahaz can trust the Lord in what he's saying, repent from his ways, or he can continue to live in disbelief and rejection of the word of the Lord. It's easy to not be clear-minded, to not be sober-minded, to not live in fear. It's hard to not live in fear when you see these signs of attacks coming. But because of who the Lord is and the power that he displays and the promises that he's made, he is saying through Isaiah, tell Ahaz, be careful, be quiet, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint. Today, as you think about the world we live in, as things continue to get darker, as confusion continues to exist throughout the way we think of humanity in general, as you see ideas being presented as if these are true and better, it's easy to be in fear. It's easy to see what's going on and be very afraid of what's going to happen, if not to you, to your children or to your grandchildren. You know, Peter understood this. In his epistle, he says these words, the end of all things is near. And I think he meant it. I think he believed it. I believe he believed the end would be before he died. But clearly that wasn't God's plan. And so Peter writes, as the Holy Spirit carries him along, the same Holy Spirit carrying Isaiah, he says, the end of all things is near. He then says, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. It's important. Because of all that we're facing, we don't need to be in fear. We need to be aware. We need to be wise. But we don't need to live in fear as if Christ is going to fail, as if the church is going to be defeated. Victory is ours in Christ. If we don't believe that and we live in fear, and the narrative of our life and the meditation of our life is more about the darkness than about the light, we're doing the exact same thing Ahaz is doing. It's rejecting the word of God and who he is. So the Lord through Isaiah says, be careful, be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint. The Lord then speaks again to Ahaz. Go to verse 10. The Lord is going to offer something to Ahaz, which is not the normal, ordinary way the Lord works. Verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. And he tells Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as, as heaven. It's a strange thing for the Lord to say. And Ahaz knows that. He knows that we're, we're not supposed to put the Lord God to a test. So in false piety and false humility, this is not godliness. Ahaz respo responds to the Lord this way. Verse 12, Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. This is important. God commanded him to ask for a sign. If God commanded it, he would fulfill it, but he didn't because Ahaz rejected the word out of a self-righteous, pious, false humility. Verse 12, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And the Lord speaks again. He said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you may weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, this is important. God is going to be faithful to fulfill what he promised about the Davidic line. 
King Ahaz is part of that line. And like many of the kings, he's evil. God is not going to let their evil defeat his promise to fulfill. So what does he do? In grace, in unbelievable mercy, he says, you wouldn't even ask me for a sign. I commanded you to ask. But even so, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. God is a God of signs. Signs are visible markers of his power, of his plan, of his person. And he says, I'm going to give you a sign. And this is what the sign is. Behold. Now, whenever you see that word, which you'll see later in Matthew, it means pay attention. This is other than. This is big. You need to listen. Behold. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, we're so used to the story that it doesn't shock us. And you believe this is true? You believe that a woman, most likely a teenager, who's never had relationship and sexual relations with a man, is going to get pregnant. More than that, you believe that the one she's going to be pregnant with is actually God and man. And you believe that is true. It's been a while since most grocery stores stopped putting tabloid magazines at the front by the checkout lines. I'll be honest, I enjoyed looking at those headlines while I waited for people to check out. They're outrageous, ridiculous, obscene sometimes. But this is a tabloid headline. If you don't think so, you're not being honest. Teenage virgin gives birth to God-man. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> and you believe it's true. Yes, if you're new to our church, we do. We believe every word of this book to be true. And in order for that to happen, something impossible had to take place. And it did. Years later, the fulfillment of this takes place in the life of a woman named Mary. Mary doesn't know until the angel tells her there's no sign of her pregnancy until the angel speaks. The sign is a virgin will give birth to a child. And this child will be 100% God. Not part of him God. 100% God. And 100% man. Not part man. 100% man. So think about this. When the Holy Spirit, who is the one who got Mary pregnant, when the Holy Spirit, Scripture says it all the way back to the Old Testament in the Gospels, when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, this child, Jesus, began to be knit together in his mother's womb. Just like any baby boy would be knit together. Mary would begin to feel the signs of pregnancy. We aren't told all that she experienced. 
but anything that a woman would normally or ordinary experience as a mother who's conceived a child, she would experience the pain, the worry, added worry, I'm sure, a body that's being transformed, a cord that's connected to God, man, where what she eats feeds his little growing body. You believe this is true? At some point, the one who's carrying the sign is going to ride a donkey, travel to Bethlehem near the end of her pregnancy. Imagine that journey. She's going to have labor pains. Just because Jesus is God doesn't mean it didn't hurt. She gives birth to God-man, and you believe it's true. We do believe it's true. How could we believe it's true? I'll get there in a minute. But I don't want you to miss this. What God did with the doctrine of the virgin birth is truly amazing. Because what he did is he took a woman who was 100% woman, not a perfect woman. There was only one perfect person created after Adam and Eve fell, and that was Christ. But God's grace in Mary's life, she's the favored one, the chosen one. The Holy Spirit overshadows her, she conceives. This child that's conceived inside her is fully human and has a fully human mother. But the absence of a fully human father participating in that conception is real. Joseph was not the one whose seed got her pregnant. It was the Holy Spirit who is 100% God. That God-man is real and is growing in her and soon will come into the world. This is what we believe. This is the sign of what does that mean? It means that salvation ultimately, I want to stress that word, salvation ultimately comes from the Lord. It is not by human power ever. Salvation can never come through human effort. It only comes through the supernatural, miraculous work of God, which leads me to speak about his name, Emmanuel. If your relationship with Jesus right now doesn't exist, you, you know you're not a believer, I want you to really listen to what I'm about to say. If you're here and your relationship with Jesus is one you would say, I, I've prayed for salvation, but I'm not intimate with him right now, I want you to really listen to what I have to say. And if you've known Christ for, for many, many years, and you would even say now, the relationship with Jesus is so sweet, I want you to really listen to what I have to say, because it matters. Anybody who professes faith in Christ believes that this is true. Isaiah told Ahaz about the child that would come, and the name Emmanuel was spoken, and that name means God with us. But one of the great tragedies in the church today, in believers today, is that we live as if the presence of God in our life, it just happened 2,000 years ago. 
And then one day when we die and go to heaven, we'll be in his presence again. And I'll be honest, that's not that attractive of a proposition to live a life of faith where I'm just looking back at one historic event and hoping for an eternity. There's something so much more. And what is more is that God with us doesn't just mean he was here for 33 years, 2,000 years ago, and we'll be with him forever. God with us means that the same one who was being knit together in Mary's womb who went on to live a perfect life, never sinning, who died the death that we all deserve to die, who conquered death by being raised from the dead, who now is interceding for us, waiting to return, that that same God, the Holy Spirit, the one who overshadowed Mary, lives right now inside every person who professes faith in Jesus. Literally, he's inside me right now, and he's never going to leave. If you're in Christ, he's inside you, and he's never going to leave. And what's happened for many Christians is that Christianity is just a, here's how I get to heaven, or here's how to have the best of all the worldviews that are possible. Christianity is a worldview, but that's not, it. that's not what it is at its core. At its core, it's union with Christ. It's Christ living in me, transforming me, making me more like himself so that I can bring him glory now, December 24th, 2023, and for all eternity. That doctrine of union with Christ God with us is far more than just looking back into a manger or even looking at the cross. Both those signs matter though. Ahaz's name means he has grasped and he clearly didn't. My burden today is that none of us would be like Ahaz that we would understand what Christ came for and what that means in us now. Rankin Wilburn wrote a book called Union with Christ. In the book, he quotes a pastor friend who's in the PCA named Paul Kim, who uses the illustration of Batman versus Spider-Man. I've already told you, I was a Batman fan. There are days I believed I was Batman. Batman has superpower that has to do with things as a wealthy man that he purchases or creates. All of his power is external. Whatever gadgets he has enables him to do supernatural things, but he's not different on the inside. Spider-Man's power is different. He has some gadgets as well. But his power comes from being bitten by a radioactive spire, spider. And when he's bitten, he changes in his nature. We who are in Christ aren't living out a Marvel story. But we who are in Christ have been changed 
Our nature has been changed. Paul says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. Anyone who professes faith in Jesus is not just professing faith in a worldview. They're professing faith in the living God, the only true God, who because of his life, death, and resurrection and reign now lives inside us. Do you grasp that? Have you grasped that? Well, there's only one way you can grasp it. And this is why I want everyone to listen. If you're already a Christian, whether you've been a Christian a long time or a little, it's because that same Holy Spirit who conceived this child in the womb of Mary conceived salvation in your life. At some point in your life, whether you were five or 15 or 25 or 55 or 80, the Holy Spirit did a work that opened your eyes to see. And this might be happening today, by the way. He opened your eyes to see and your ears to hear and your mind to think rightly and your heart to feel rightly. If the Holy Spirit never did that, that conceiving work, you and I would remain dead in our trespasses and sins. But when we come to faith in Christ, we don't just suddenly become good people who have a better worldview than most. We become people with whom the living God dwells. Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? I wanna close with this. I've got a lot of amazing memories in the almost 22 years I've been part of this church. But in my top 10, maybe top five, there was a trip that we took with our students. Our high school students went to teach English in a country that is closed, a country where we were not able to proclaim Christ, to proselytize, to do normal evangelistic things. We went to teach conversational English, and as we did, we could teach certain topics that would allow us to at least introduce the ideas of our faith. And one was talking about holidays. My favorite moment that I'm speaking of had me holding a camera. And I was recording one of our students, and she was telling the story of how Americans celebrate Christmas. And it was kind of a role play. The first part had to do with jolly old Saint Nick, the man with the big bag of toys, all the different ways we sing about him, different ways we celebrate him, a Christmas tree was brought in, all of it. And she did an amazing job. Then somebody brought a manger scene to her. And using the little figurines of Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the animals and the angels, she told these students what we believe about Jesus. One student named Jason, who was very bright, probably 16, 17 years old, never blinked, I don't think, as he listened. And as soon as she stopped, he raised his hand. I have this on video. And he said, and you believe this is true? I knew what 
the young woman would say, what I captured in the recording was a young girl about 15 or 16 named Tina, who was also part of the class, a member of that country. And when he asked, and you believe this is true, she did this. And I believed I witnessed the Holy Spirit conceiving in her faith in Christ. Now what we believe that means is that when just a few minutes later she prayed with one of those students to receive Christ as her Lord and Savior, to ask him to forgive her sins, is that at that moment, which was captured on video, she became a new person. It's not just a worldview. She suddenly didn't just have a list of things to live by. She had the word, not just the written word, the word himself through his spirit living in her. She who, if she didn't trust Christ, would be separated from him forever, now was celebrating with the angels that she had been changed in a moment. She was his now forever. Two weeks later, a dozen students from that same school then came to America. We hosted an English camp here at Trinity Christian Academy using their classrooms. Russ Whitfield, who's a pastor in the PCA who served here for a few years as one of our youth interns, had the profound privilege of listening to every one of Jason's questions. And you believe this is true? He was here in Dallas. And you believe this is true? And question after question, Russ said yes, and here's why. And then that young man professed faith in Christ. He became a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Ahaz heard from the prophet Isaiah and rejected, even though his name means one who grasps. Friends, if you've professed faith in Jesus, I want you to know it's because God did it. He instituted that. He initiated it. He illuminated your hearts and minds. Never forget that. If you came to faith, if you're growing in faith, if you have a desire for him, if you have a desire to repent, if you have a desire to grow, it's all because he initiated, he started it. It's never just you. It's him. Praise God. If today you're here and you know I'm not in the Lord, think about why you're here. Jason didn't go to that classroom in order to see the presentation of a baby born in a manger. He learned to speak English. That was his motivation. Tina didn't go that day expecting that she was going to hear words that would literally change her life forever. Maybe that's why you're here today. That the same God who told Ahaz, I'll show you a sign, has brought you here today to show you a sign. And he is the sign have you grasped that? If you have, praise the Lord. If not, 
and you know right now you want him, as I close this in prayer, just pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, forgive me of my sins, and save me. And he will. If you're here and you're like Jason, I don't know if I believe or not, keep asking. Keep asking if we can help you in that journey. We would love nothing more. God came near. God and his people is near. Father in heaven, I'm confident, Lord, that you have spoken to us today through your word and spirit. And if you are speaking to an individual right now who has never placed their faith in you, overwhelm them. Friends, simply pray the prayer I encourage you to pray right now. For those, Lord, who are thinking like they've never thought about these things, have mercy on them, Lord, and draw them near to you. For many who are here who've already professed faith in you, Christ, I pray that we would never forget that you are the one who initiated that salvation ultimately comes from you. It's not by human power. We could never do the miracle that is required. The story of Mary, a virgin, becoming pregnant with God, man, we believe because you enabled us to believe it. There's no other way. God, would you overwhelm us with praise for that? For all who are in Christ, Lord, we also believe that right now you're praying for us and that one day you're going to return. Pray, O oh Lord, that you would overwhelm us with that truth and that we would not be like Ahaz in fear, but we would be confident that he who said it, though it seems impossible, will do it. All things are possible with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.